Okay. Thank you. And uh, this morning, I wanted to open up a little bit, and I might, it might be an ouchie if I say this. How many of you, just as it would be with every single Sunday, that when you wake up, you actually came with expectation and preparation and prayerfully your hearts are available with great expectation about what the Lord is going to do? Or did you just wake up stumbling, stumble your way and breakfast is not even there in your stomach and all you could think about is just get there and hopefully not late or get to the wherever you need to get to for church. And then somehow maybe that's a sermon that may please your heart. I say that because the Lord is not our entertainment, amen? And his presence is not cheap. But for those who yearn for him, they are the one who yield the most, who gets the most yield. In other words, the harvest will be tremendous. The reward will be tremendous. Now, I say this also because I've been there before. You know, when I was in college especially, when I was in Pullman, travel is not that difficult. Commute is not that hard. I could literally wake up 10 minutes before class and still get there and be on time for class. That's, <laughs> that's the young me. But then my mind will be foggy. My stomach will be empty because I'm busy thinking about how hungry I was but I need to show up in class. I could not barely understand what the professor is saying because I did not have any expectation, but just to fulfill my responsibility, that is to show up. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there in the class. Those days are gone. In fact, those days cannot build real life, amen? It may be a season of so-called vacationing, but those days are over. But I could only wonder from last week's sermon about spiritual awakening. How many are still in a spiritual vacation just like that? Everything is last minute. I spent some time with the uh, fellow uh, men at the men's fellowship. I said, don't be a last minute guy, be a first minute guy. Too often we slide by. And in fact, I keep hearing people say, I do best when I'm under pressure. Sure, but let's be honest, you're a last minute guy. You have no choice but to do your best. <laughs> But is the result the best? Probably not. You could actually benefit more if you don't be a last minute person, be a first minute person, amen? And so today it opens up to, the topic today is hardened hearts. Because last week the title was, are you still sleeping? And one of the scripture that was brought up was 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Actually, let me get to the slide. Oh, there you go. Uh, let me ask real quick. Am I controlling the slide or are you helping me? I can do it. Okay, great. You can do it. Can do it. By, how, how do I run the points? Just tap on it. Okay, thank you. The error at the bottom. But the error is the change slide, right? Okay. Sorry about that. Gotta check. Gotta check. <laughs> I really, really appreciate all the support. <laughs> um, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. So then let us not sleep as, to, as others do, 
but let us keep awake and be sober. And I begin to look into the word sober in uh, Hebrews. Um, actually, I'm sorry, it's Greek. I don't know why the H is there. Greek 3525. It actually means calm, collected in spirit and circumspect. And I begin to look at what circumspect means. It is the ability to discern and weigh and begin to make a decision, not hastily, not, not uh, irrationally jumping into conclusion or any decision, but to be sober, very awake, to be very in the moment, to understand where we're at. In fact, last week, many of you and all of us have wonder about this war and the rumor of war. And for many, those who have been with Logos and have attended uh, Bible study about end times and the revelations and the seals, you would have known what we see here now is of no surprise because it is spoken. And every single seal Oh, somebody say, I'm not able to see the slides. It says it needs to be reloaded. Okay. I see that. Thank you. Just checking. Okay, maybe it might take time to uh, refresh or reload. Thank you for checking. Thank you for the uh, informing. So I, I won't I won't change slide yet, but I'll just hang in there for a second. Hang in here for a second. And, and not only one after another, you know, we went from a pandemic and now wars. And very quickly now they're talking about lacking food, lacking supply. Um, you know, nobody have paid attention to Ukraine until Ukraine happened. Nobody realized how much is coming out of that country. Uh, and then what kind of supply comes from where? And then, so people are starting to pay attention in other words. But I will say this, let us not be asleep. And so because of that, um, kind of brings to, I couldn't get to the next point. Will it change slide? Or? Okay, there you go, thank you. Okay, I see how it works. So sleeping spiritually, also means hardening of hearts. Why? Because the Bible says they are callous hearts. They are insensitive, unable to discern or measure. You know, you can't feel anymore. Now, of course, we're talking about spiritual matters because when the world is done, what lives on is our soul, amen? It's our spirit. The question is living with the Lord or living in um, suffering in hell and so it's important to understand all these things spiritually and so what is hardening what is a hardened heart let's go to isaiah what is a hardened heart i want to start with that in isaiah and i'll read to you isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 this is isaiah himself again chapter 6 after you know all that he is doing or he has done in chapter one, two, three, four, and five that God used him. Anybody knows Isaiah? He's a, considered a major prophet. You know, there's such a thing called minor prophet and he's a major prophet. You know, you know, maybe some people say because of his contribution 
to the word of God. But this is a moment when King Uzziah was the king that he served. But in verse one, it says, at the, in the year when King Uzziah died or passed away, he then saw the Lord. Wait a minute, what happened to chapter one, two, three, four, and five? Wasn't the Lord with him? Yes, the Lord was with him. The Lord was using him to speak to Israel prophetically in all the things that of warning, uh, rebuke of their stubbornness, and begin to give them some, some, some uh, uh, a warning ahead of time. But then suddenly in chapter six, he said, whoa, that year when King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord the way he ought to, be, he ought to see. In fact, he said, woe is me, my lip is unclean. It's amazing how suddenly one is awakened. Even Isaiah, a major prophet, is awakened. Now, I have to pause for a second. If Isaiah, the major prophet, has to awaken, how much more I have to be awakened? How prideful can I be? How arrogant can I be to think, ha ha, I think I'm cool. I think I'm good, God. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm awakened enough. Okay, I'm awakened enough. I don't need to be awakened more. How foolish would I get if I'm like that? So here in Isaiah chapter 6, after the Lord has dealt with him, after he asked the Lord to cleanse him, to purge him, and he was just a man who is fully submitted before God, and he was submit to the Lord the way he now understood, or saw God the way he ought to be seen. How many of you understand what that means? For example, what does it mean to worship God? But I would go one more beyond that. What does it mean to worship God the way he ought to be worshipped? Not just worship God because I know how to sing a tune or two, but worship him the way he ought to be worshipped. Meaning what? In spirit and in truth. Too often, many people give God what they prefer to give God, not what he deserved to be given. Amen? And that's huge. I can tell you, I... I learned that from a young, you know, uh, spiritually when I, when I came to Pullman, Washington, for the first time in my life, I came out of this religion. Well, I was part of, you know, my mom's uh, church. She was a Catholic and all I knew was a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so I thought, hey, yeah, I'm not a perfect guy. And yeah, I, I, I need some correction from time to time. I need some guidance, you know, I need some, Holy Spirit guidance, but I didn't know the Holy Spirit, so I only know church. I only know how to go to church and put my put uh, dab my finger in the holy water and then do the cross sign, you know, as I enter. Learning how to respect this Catholicism that was presented, I didn't know God. I only knew religion. But when I came to Pullman, something just changed because I was fighting this whole time. Religion to me is hypocrisy. It is just hypocrisy. It's man-made. I begin to attack Christian before I even arrive U.S. I attack my best friend who had this desire for me to know Christ, but I didn't know anything except religion, so I attacked him. I attacked him as, uh, I attacked him as a way to say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You say you're Christian, but you, don't, you really don't know what you're talking about. You just, you just immerse, you're immerse, immersed into this religion. That you don't understand. Now, amazing, I had enough 
of fighting spirit in me, <laughs> that sort of a fighting spirit, to ask the correct question. You guys say you are, you are Christians, yet you do not know what you believe in because they couldn't answer my question. My question was simple. If God is love, why is that war? If God is love, why would God allow innocent baby die in Africa with AIDS? You know, my question was just very simple. But deep down in my heart, I was yearning for something more real. I was struggling in life and purpose. I already saw life is unfair. And so all that to share is Isaiah had this moment too. Now I didn't say, I, I wasn't implying that he was sinning before. And then he, in chapter six, suddenly he became righteous. What I'm saying, even Isaiah is awakened to greater part of God. He's still growing, amen? How much more should we? We should. And so here comes chapter six, uh, chapter six, verse nine, because after all of that, and the Lord says, I, I need to have a message to Israel. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. He's now willing to, to be used by God, anyhow God wants. And verse nine, God said to him, go and tell his people, tell this people, this is verse nine, keep on listening, but do not proceed. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return to be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? He answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolated. In fact, it was repeated in New Testament twice in Matthew chapter um, 13, verse 14 and 15. And then in the book of Acts in chapter 28, this prophetic was still taught in the New Testament. Jesus himself and Apostle Paul too. But it was brought up to say that there is hardening of hearts by God's own people. Now, many of you would read this says, you know, different translations. It says, make the hearts of these people insensitive. So many people are thinking, oh, God has a message for Israel, but he, he's going to make their hearts harden. No, let me tell you this. They hardened their own hearts. If you read in Matthew, it would be very clear. They rendered their own hearts. So, oh, something's happening. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. So I'm going to go to Matthew real quick. If you have your Bible there, turn real quick to the book of Matthew. Okay. 13 and then 14 onwards. Um, in verse 15, for the heart of this people has become dull with their ears, they scarce they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see their uh, they would see with their eyes and they would hear with their ears. Today we're gonna go look at many more scriptures. 
where the Lord actually continued to provide instructions. Amen? The Lord, what is? Continue to provide instructions. But yet it's common to also see Israel themselves continue to ignore it. Continue to ignore it. And so what is a hardened heart? Is a heart that is callous. So let's finish Isaiah real quick. Oh yeah, we did. Sorry, we did. But verse 11 says, then says the Lord, uh, then, then Isaiah, verse 11, then I said, Lord, how long? That was interesting when I read that. Because God says, this is what they'll do as we give them instruction. Israel will harden their hearts. They will be stubborn. And, and But if they would, what? If they were to uh, turn back to God, you know, otherwise they might see there with their eyes, they will hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. It's very clear. The Lord desires them to be healed of their hardened hearts. But if they would just turn back, amen? But then Isaiah says, but how long? He said, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. Many would have read that God just wanted to flatten out that, that nation. That's not the case. The case is stubbornness destroy. Stubbornness will continue to rot. Stubbornness will continue to bring calamity. Stubbornness is the work of the enemy. Stubbornness, you know, I realize um, there's some part in me that I like that. In fact, there is a particular scripture. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. This is Isaiah 28. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit regarding stubbornness. Isaiah 28, verse 7 through 13. If you're there with me, go ahead. I'm going to read NLT translation. Isaiah 28, 7 through 13. The reason why I jump ahead, because just now during worship, the Lord showed me about some elements of stubborn hearts. Verse 7, now, however, Israel is led by drunks who reel, reel with wine and stagger with alcohol. The priests and prophets stagger with alcohol and lose themselves in wine. They reel when they see visions and stagger as they render decisions. Their tables were covered with vomit. Obviously, it's a picture of somebody who's just not sober. But they will continue to yell. They continue to rule. They'll continue to make decisions in that. Uh, is it stupor? Is that the word? Stupor? Yeah. They're not even clear. <laughs> you know, people told me that's the difference between somebody who's drunk and somebody who's in drugs. Something to the effect. Somebody who is in drugs, they have this sense of feeling um, uh, fear, sense of feeling, um, um, uh, what do you call, uh, what is besides fear that, that uh, you, you think something's gonna happen to you very quickly. Something harmful is gonna happen to you. Paranoia. 
paranoia. Thank you. Was it you, Pastor Kasmin, that you 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 shared that the difference between a drunk and a and a and a drug addict? No, no, because okay. um, I've seen them in the same state. Gotcha. Thank you for confirming that. So paranoia. But a person who is drunk, they feel that they are uh, free. They are they are they are uh, foolish in a sense, but they they also have this. Um, uh, spirit of uh, a false boldness and anger, and all that will come out. So, so they are more like coming out versus the one who is in drugs. They they kind of cower themselves because of paranoia. So it's a very different spirit. And here it describes um, the people of Israel in Isaiah twenty-eight that how they are, the spiritual condition. They're just like drunkards. In verse nine, who does the? This is that their response to God. Who does the Lord think we are, they ask. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? They're arguing with God. Did you, can you, <laughs> they feel like God, stop talking to me like a children. You know, I, I'm adult now. I can do whatever I want. And then verse, uh, verse 10. He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time. A little here and a little there. Verse 11. So now God will have to speak to his people through foreign oppressors who speak a strange language. Now, this is the part that got me. Verse 11. In other words, God has been speaking to his people line by line, a little here, a little there, but they won't listen. So now God has to use someone else, basically. Basically, it's going to be someone else. Verse 12, God has told his people, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is a place of quiet rest. But they would not listen. So the Lord will spell out his message from, for them again, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here and a little there. So they will stumble and fall. So that they will stumble and fall. They will be injured, trapped, and captured. This part was, again, God has always continued to provide instructions. But if we will not listen to him, he will send someone else too. And suddenly I had this thought. I said, wow, Edmund, how many people God has sent to Edmund to tell God's message? And I'd say no. And I realized if I could say no to them, I already say no to the Lord. That's foolishness and that's hardening of hearts. A wise person always hear where the word comes from, even if it comes from the most unlikely person in your life. This is a very powerful scripture to me because I've always often said, if the Lord would have led me to the promised land that would take only 11 days, why would I choose 40 years? The answer is because of stubbornness and foolishness. A wise person always hear the truth. They will not dismiss it quickly. They will consider the wisdom and, and the truth and the understanding that can come from it. And so what is a hardened heart? Is a heart that is callous, that is no longer want to deal with truth. In fact, I have quite a bit of callous in my hands now because we've been going to the gym and gripping all these things. And I told Jane, I was like, man, 
it sometimes hurt because there's like dead skin gathering up inside your, you know, in your palm. And it gets bigger and bigger. You know, it's like the more you go at it, the callus gets bigger and bigger. And then when it gets bigger, it just feels uncomfortable, you know? And the worst thing is you can't feel a thing. And so now we're thinking about, wait a minute, we're talking about, I'm talking about my hands. What about the heart? What about a spiritual callous heart? They cannot know, they cannot have the joy of knowing what is good. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. <clears throat> they are rendered in, uh, they're in sense. Oh, I'm trying to go to the next one. Ah, oops. We're going to go back a few slides, a few points. Go back. Go back. Backwards. Ah, thank you. Ah, there you go. Okay, th that's one last point. Forward. It's a lag. It's a lag. Apologize. Bear with us. <clears throat> and I thank you, Dora, for helping. Uh, we're we're actually using the browser version of this uh, presentation this morning. Okay, there you go. A hardened heart is a heart that is unmoved by things that are concerned, things that are of concern for God. In fact, in Second Chronicles uh, chapter seven, verse fourteen, it is considered wicked um, because as we know in second <clears throat> uh, chronicles we learn that um, if the people of israel will humble themselves and if they would repent of their wicked ways their wicked ways the lord will heal their land the lord will restore them so this is this is all about before this restoration. That's what's going on here. This hardening of hearts, not being sober spiritually. This is all before the healing, but this is God dealing with us. And it is quite scary because sometimes we don't think we have a hardened heart. Why? Because we're not like everybody else. You know, those people out there, they have a hardened heart. Me? No, I'm here. <laughs> I'm at church. I'm, at, I'm among many Christians. I should be good. But even so, the Lord constantly warns us. Because when we get too comfortable being the Christians that we are, we are asleep. We could fall asleep, spiritually speaking. Amen? And so here are some signs. That there are strong warning signs that a heart was hardened and needs repair. The first one. Lack of ability to perceive or remember or grasp events or ideas coming from God. You know, you'd be wondering, what is that? Why would somebody lack uh, those uh, understanding of perceive God? Well, let me give you a story, a situation. This is Mark chapter uh, 8, 17 through 21. But let me confirm in the word. Let me turn it real quick. Mark chapter 7. Verse 17 through 21. Actually, Mark chapter 7. Oh, 
Uh, chapter 8, sorry. I was looking at Sam. Chapter 8, yeah, thank you. Chapter 8, verse 17. Verse 17 says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not understand? And so this was a part where the disciples were talking among themselves and they have certain concerns and uh, their concern was they forgot to bring it to the, to, with them. And so they, they were without the bread, the access. But here Jesus is teaching them, but yet who is the provider of those bread? Who is the multiplier you know, of the resources that they already witnessed? It is Christ himself. And so this is important because sometimes, and I will, I will, I will speak to my own experience. I have many things I'm responsible for as a person, right? Being a husband, a father, uh, and yes, I'm also a son to my mom and a brother to my sister. And, 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 and the Lord entrusted us to shepherd his flocks, ministry. And then I have work to do as well. There are many things, there are many things that I do. Remember earlier when I was praying that sometimes when God is trying to talk to us and we're like, God, can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> and, and in the name of what? In the name of I'm just a, being a responsible person. In the name of Lord, I'm just being diligent here. I suddenly sound like Martha, I mean, the, the, in the Bible, Martha and Mary, right? Martha, can you not see? <laughs> can you ask Mary to come help me? I'm just so busy. And, and when we are busy, we cannot have the ability to see God in what he is doing in the moment we are in, in that busyness. And here are the disciples. They're busy about what? Administration. Planning ahead. They're no doubt they're planning ahead, right? They're like, oh man, forgot to bring the basket of bread that was left over. We don't have bread in the next travel. And here Jesus said, are you hardened in your hearts? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you not understand? That's one example right there. As innocent as it may sound, right? After all, these disciples were with Jesus, right? It seems innocent. But Jesus would seize the moment to teach them. That little things like this, we can learn from. We can learn from. That means what? If you go to work today and suddenly the computer is not working and the printer was supposed to print, but it did not print. What do you do? Smash it, pick it up, throw it down the floor, crash it and buy a new one? <laughs> or you begin to haggle your coworker and run everybody down because of your wrath that the printer is not working? What is it? Do you not know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? That even computer, you can pray over. Amen? Yes, I'm kind of like that. Sometimes I'm like, ah. When computer works, it's great. When computer doesn't work, you just want to smash it to the wall. But that's my feeling. But the Holy Spirit in me says, stop where you are before you get into trouble with the Lord and then also with others. 
Proverbs 14, verse 6. And it reads, a scoffer seeks wisdom and find none, but knowledge is easy to the one who has understanding. As, who is a scoffer? A scoffer is the one who always go, yeah, you know, when you say something good, they're like, yeah, but, yeah, but. They're constantly, yeah, but, all the time. They always find something to scoff at. They always find something to complain and make it less of a blessing, less beautiful, less powerful. They always find something negative. And it says what a scoffer seeks wisdom and they find none. They won't find any because they were not having this teachable moment. They always look at cup half empty versus cup half full. In fact, the cup is full. They still see empty. <laughs> That's a scoffer. But what knowledge is easy for the one who has understanding. I love the book of Proverbs. Knowledge comes easy for the one who has understanding. And understanding is, as you remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's in the book of Proverbs. In fact, the book of Proverbs also said, through wisdom you get, but in all you're getting, get understanding. Where can we get it from? From the Lord. The Lord is continually teaching us, little by little, little here and little there. The Lord knows we can handle little sometimes the way I think I realize, wow, Lord, thank you. But only if we would listen. Amen. All right. Uh, insensitivity to sin or sinfulness, being insensitive. You know, many of us read John chapter 1, verse 9 before. But do you know in verse 8 it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and truth is not in us. And I'm not saying go around every single day. There's always sin, always sin. All that, what I'm saying is that if you look at the scripture, you know God says, be humble. And always examine yourself. Amen. Before him. Lest you think, you, you know, lest you fall. It's very important to have a spirit of humility before the Lord. Amen. Doesn't mean you know nothing. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just a worm. I, I don't know anything. I'm just a little... Uh, uh, I'm just a, a, a thing that people step on. Okay, let, let's not go false humility. <laughs> you, didn't, you don't need to bring yourself down to that level to then say, see, I'm humble. The Lord just needs you to be available to him, amen? In order to be available is to be humble before him. I asked the guys on Friday, I said, can anyone at any given moment make a choice to humble themselves. Can anyone make a choice? The answer is yes. Now, it doesn't mean that, that they were humble before. They could be arrogant. They could be sinful. But can they make a choice to be humble before the Lord when given the chance? The answer is yes. And we'll explore that in a moment. Uh, next point. Arrogance and pride. Failure to follow God's command. The way of Jesus or the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we read Isaiah 28 earlier. That God continues to give instruction, but yet Israel continue uh, to push it away. They would not listen. They would not listen in verse, uh, verse 12. So, next point. One is easily offended, resentful. 
and lack the ability to forgive. And this is very uh, challenging, especially this is pretty much right where everybody's at. Given any, any given moment, are we one that is easily offended? I find that a mature person, uh, obviously not easily offended, but they're also flexible, you know? Meaning what? Sometimes we're easily offended by people and sometimes we're easily offended by things. And, uh, you know, not many people here enjoy getting stuck in traffic, right? Where there is this sense of us that are easily offended. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Let's pause for a second. Is there such thing still inside of us? Most likely the answer is yes. Maybe not at this moment, but given the situation of trials and testing, it will show up. Amen? Maybe right now we're having church, all of us having this serenity and we feel righteous and we're in a holy place. So we didn't feel any of those bitterness, you know, anger or wrath at this moment. But given the right setting, given the right moment, have we examined ourselves if we have these kind of spirit inside of us? Is what is what does the Bible says? Put away, put away, along with the malice, all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. In other words, when we are in those moments of trials and testing, when we recognize those things arise, the very first moment we need to learn how to put away with God's help. Amen. That is where we stop and that's where we turn to God. That's where we learn to pray. That's where we learn to seek his thoughts, not our thoughts. Amen. Because if we let it brew the way we have always been, malice, all the different, you know, uh, people say, um, I will repay this person with interest. They, <laughs> they, it, it was meant to be funny, but then I thought, oh, you mean... You, you would revenge, and in that revenge, you would do more harm than this person had harmed you. That's what it means. I will repay this person with interest. That was the saying that, that I've heard, whether in joke or in, in reality. That's the malice. That's the bitterness. And so hardening of heart can happen to anyone in the smallest scale to the larger scale. But it's important that we hear what God is saying, put away from you along with all, all big and small, amen? So next point, lukewarm to the word of God, to the word of God, being lukewarm to the word of God. This is James uh, chapter, oops, <laughs> hang on. I apologize, I do need to recheck my, uh, the scriptures that I write down because I've been doing the PowerPoint and going back to my notes. This is James chapter four, not 24. And I will correct it and then we send it out for those who need it. Um, but the moment I saw it, I realized that was a typo. Oh, 
Okay, James 1, 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. And it reads like this. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Receive the word that has been given to us, the word that is planted in us, that can save our soul. But we can't do that if we still have filth, if we still have this one foot in and one foot out, can we? You know, people say you can't have your cake and eat it too. In other words, you love this cake so much, you want to save it at the same time you want to eat it and still have more of it. You just can't have your cake and eat it too. Choose either one. And so James 1.21, which ties also to Revelations 3.16, that says, and most, most of you have heard it before, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. That's lukewarmness to God's word. We have received God's word, but yet we spend more time in holding on to whatever we want to hold on to. What? In order to be healed, we need to start letting go. Letting go. But what would you let go? Let him speak to you. Let him speak to you. I recently was talking to, uh, you know, having Bible study with brothers. And we were talking about when you sail your ship, that you're going to follow Christ and that ship has reached the shore. You burn that ship because you don't go back. There's no going back. But then I hinted. But while you burn that ship, make sure all the rafts, all the small boats also burn alongside because you don't want to create a little small raft just to go back. Amen. You go forward all the way through. And so in your mind, maybe at this moment where God has something great for you and you are still reserving this little rafts. Yes, you did have the experience of burning the ship. You're not going back. You're just going forward. Yes, but you, you reserve this little raft somewhere. And this is where you go and spend time with God. Amen. All right, next point. Unbelief and then drawing away from God. 2 Timothy 3, 7. That talks about uh, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. There are a lot of people. Uh, they're always they're there to learn, but they're not coming to the knowledge of truth. And, and we just read, right, earlier in Proverbs 14, 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom but find none. Um, you know, maybe the person may not think they're scoffing, but they're definitely not accepting God's word, always learning, but never come to the real understanding. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it's where it says, For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but the itching of ears, itching ears, they will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. Again, they will turn their ears away those who have ears cannot hear and those who have eyes cannot see because they choose to turn away not only unbelief but they're turning away next one okay do you know that our lord can also harden our hearts so just now we just look at all the different signs of hardened hearts that needs healing amen 
But do you know that the Lord can uh, also harden hearts? Now, why I say this, because sometimes when we read the Bible, especially in Romans chapter 9, Exodus regarding Pharaoh, you know, those are the popular verses. When we, when, when we see the word hardened hearts, people always say, why does the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart, right? And we're going to visit that, but I want you to understand this. The Lord can also harden our hearts. How? By turning us over to our sins. All right, next scripture. In Psalms 82, verse 11 through 13, it says, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So, in verse 12, I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart, to walk their own ways. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk with me. Uh, Israel would walk in my ways. It is God's desire that we walk with him. But if we keep neglecting him and keep, keep pushing him away, he will turn us over to our own stubbornness and our desire. And that's scary if you think about that. But what kind of result would we expect if we keep going in our ways? Yes. It's not something true. It wasn't 82. Thank you, Melanie. Psalms 81. 81. 11 through 13. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys are opening to your word and checking at the same time. <laughs> Psalms 81. Thank you. All right. Um, let me pause for a second. Any question, just in case someone may find something else? Okay, thank you. So, but the Lord desire that we would turn to him instead. But if we don't, let me say this, by his grace that we're still here, amen? But if we continue our ways, it will only lead to worsening of our situation, in this case, hardening of hearts and our stubbornness. All right, next scripture. This one is, let's check, Isaiah 44, verse 18. Okay, there you go. Isaiah 44, verse 18. They do not comprehend or discern. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and closed their minds so they cannot understand. This part is where the Lord has not given them any revelation. Not that he didn't, but they refuse to and therefore they're not gaining any revelation. They do not gain any understanding. Again, their eyes cannot see and their minds cannot understand. Amen. Next one. All right, Jeremiah 18. I'm going to go slowly just in case I have another typo. Jeremiah 18. Verse 11 and 12. Okay, there you go. Jeremiah 18, verse 11 and 12. So now then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, 
Thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say it's hopeless for we are going to follow our own plans. And each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. So the more God is trying to put a hedge to put the stop to their path, the more they want to go. They want to go through it. They want to go their ways. So who's hardening whose heart? They have chosen to harden their hearts and the Lord will do everything he can to give them a chance to turn back, but they won't. And it gets harder. And that's why it leads to Exodus. Exodus chapter 7, verse 3 to 14, but I'll read to you verse 3 and 4. But this is where you find the passage where the Lord is dealing with Pharaoh. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hands on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, by great judgment, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. I pause here and say, even so, could Pharaoh turn his heart to God to be healed? Meaning there were nine different plagues, nine different situations. Yesterday I was uh, heading up to Canada and Jaden was traveling with me to go visit mom. And I thought, I say, hey, Jane, we're going to do some Bible study while in the car. So he was reading the scriptures, and we were just going back and forth and examining God's word. And I said, hey, it's good that when we read, we want to be sure of what we read. For example, how many plagues were there that God had given to, uh, 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 that God had uh, sent to Pharaoh? There was guessing going on, seven, ten, nine. I said, let's go read it. So it's nine. <laughs> Right. And it's important because why is that? Because every single one of them was a turn opportunity to turn around for Pharaoh. Pharaoh could have turned around. And you see here in Jeremiah 18, 11, what did God say? I'm fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. But the real advice is what? Turn back. God wasn't trying to flex his muscle and say, oh, yeah, you want to deal with me? I'm going to deal with you. You see, if God wants to deal with us today, it will be game over for all of us if we haven't turned our hearts back to God. He could just end right now. Today is the last day. The next hour is the only time you have left. He will just end there. But what do we learn? 2 Peter 3, 9, for the promises of God is not slow as men think, you know, slow. But yet he is patiently waiting for every single person to repent. It's not his desire to see us perish, not even them, those who reject him, not even Pharaoh. But yet after how many times Pharaoh continued to disobey God? It's important for us to understand. He tells us to turn back. In that, it leads to the next slide. But the Lord is full of compassion to those who turn away from their wicked ways and seek him. Mark 9, 24, 
was very interesting because there was this father who uh, whose son needed help from Jesus. He was possessed. And here, Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 24, when finally Jesus shows up and he said, if you could, please heal my son. And Jesus says, if I could. <laughs> and so here, Mark 9, 24 recorded their conversation. The boy, uh, the father finally admitted. It says, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And I was pondering on this. I go, wow, Lord. This unbelief that this man is uh, experiencing is probably as good as what I'm experiencing when I am not, when I'm not fully in operation in my, in my own faith in Christ. What do I mean by that? I can be very familiar with Christianity and I'll live as a, you know, moral person and focus on what is good that God wants me to do. Yes. And then, and I get busy and I say, Lord, time out. I need to fix this first. I need to do this first. I need to do all these things. Lord, can you not see I'm busy trying to do good? And at that moment, I can be just like this father, having unbelief. Having what kind of unbelief? That the Lord is in control. When my money ran out, oh Lord, there's no money to pay bills next month. Yes, it's scary. Right? Lord, I just got laid off. It is scary. But why does it take those moments to only then we can focus on the power of God? What about the normal days, day in, day out? Is where we practice having a relationship with him, even in the small things. Thanking him for small things. Believing that the small things that you're doing right now, the small little things, are part of him training you up. What does the Bible say? Faithful in the little things, and you'll be given much to be faithful with. You can read up on the parable of the talents. Right? God is right here, ready to help us with our unbelief. So Mark chapter 9 was remarkable to me. I've read that many times. I thought, oh, maybe he's believing. He's not believing halfway in, halfway out. What's going on? But God, Jesus was right there with him, helping him heal his son and helping him strengthen his faith. God is training us. And the second part of Second Chronicles 7 that also reminds us what? That, let me finish that, uh, reading that Second Chronicles. It says, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, will forgive their sin and heal their land and heal their land. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get tired because you can only do so much as a person. And those times are when I really don't feel like waking up. <laughs> and those are the times that I also realize, whose strength do I have that I'm going through this? 
That's when I realized it is not the Lord's strength, but my own strength. Amen. That's when we realize we need to turn from our wicked ways. And the Lord will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. Yes, go ahead, 2 Peter 3, 9. But understand this, though. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. I also think about it from our faith perspective. You know, when somebody falls asleep, it's almost like the faith went dead. The hardened heart does not have faith. They went dead. And so understand God's desire for us. Amen? Next one. Psalms 106, verse 43 and 45. Many times he would deliver them, meaning God will save his people many times. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. And he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. Know who your Lord is. Know who your Lord is. Remember I mentioned Isaiah 28 just now, where the Lord was giving uh, instructions here and there, and they refused to listen. And then what did God do? God will hand them over and let other people give the same instruction, Right? And to this, to that point is sometimes, uh, you know, when you look at this, right, he would deliver uh, his people many times. But in verse 44, nevertheless, he looked upon the distress when they heard their cry and he remembered his covenant and relented according to his greatness of his loving kindness. God is so loving to the point, if you don't listen to him, he'll try to send somebody else. Is what I'm trying to say here. Maybe this is a time we stop looking at our own parents, you know, as if like, ah, my mom always say that. I'm not speaking to anyone of you, I'm speaking to myself, my own mom. <laughs> so, too often my mom has given me other wisdom, even though I know she's not Christian, but God used her, right? And I'll say, ah, it's just mom. Oh, ah, it's just, it's just uh, my brother, or it's just my sister, or it's just somebody else. But if we spend enough time in the word of God, we will recognize, wow, it is true that the Lord can use anyone. Amen. That's his loving kindness. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather that he should turn away from his ways and live? Turn from his ways and live. Amen. That is God's desire. Amen. Turn. Turn, if you will. So part of awaken is to also turn, turn from the wicked ways. Second Timothy 20, 21. Now this is important because this is the whole Bible study that Jaden and I were when we were driving up to Vancouver yesterday. And I have the Berean version. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 20 to 21. It says, a large house contains not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some indeed are for honorable use, but others are for common use. Okay, let's be clear, common use. So if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for good work. 
Now, you can see here, it says, if anyone cleanses himself, then you will be considered a vessel that is useful. Amen? Now, why is this scripture important? Because number one, again, God says we are given the, given the opportunity, right? And he is patiently waiting for us to repent. And so here in 2.20, brings up a very good aspect. He says, in his house, there are many, there are many uh, vessels made of different materials. Now, this was brought to my attention also because in Romans chapter 9, verse 17 to 21, and then also 24 to 29, and I'll read. Uh, if you will, turn there real quick. And I've given homework to some of the guys about Romans chapter 9. And so uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you have read it. For those who did have the opportunity, Romans 9, verse 17. I actually recommend reading the whole chapter in your time, in your own time. Now, verse 17, it says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I raise you up to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth, so that he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for those who resist his will? On the contrary, in other words, that's not true. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel of honorable and the other for common use, for common use. And so this is, if you read up, you recognize that God was talking about Pharaoh, yes. And what the issue that was happening was, they were saying, well, God hardened his heart. If God hardened his heart, why would he still find fault? And here Apostle Paul is trying to explain that. And he used the idea of the vessel of honor and the vessel of common use. In other translation, uh, the common use is dishonor or destruction. And, and so it, it brings a bit of a dilemma here because some people who read it, you know, or stay that way by reading it, not studying it, will say, hey, it is fated. That means Pharaoh didn't have a chance. Pharaoh was created that way anyway. So what do you expect of an evil man? You can't expect him to have faith, right? Because God created him that way. That is not true. That is exactly what uh, Apostle Paul was trying to allude to. You see, if you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, you will recognize this. First and foremost, this is regarding God's way of salvation. And in his house, there are many vessels, yes. The vessels made of gold made of stone, and then there are vessels made of clay and so forth. So yesterday, I was trying to explain this to Jaden. I said, if you look at our own home, we have plates. Some plates are made of porcelain, and we know those are the ones we keep. We put it in the shelf, we clean it, we use it again and again and again and again, and we protect it. You know, we, we, we put care to it. And then we also have plates that are made of plastic. It's, it's in our cupboards. We use them from time to time until we can use it no more. And then obviously we have paper plates. 
And paper plates are meant to be used once and then you throw it away. So I asked Jaden, out of those three plates, three types of plates, which one is for common use? And he said, all of it. I said, think about it again in through the scriptures. What is the scripture saying? How come there's such a thing as honorable and then there's some things are common? And the more you think about it, you realize, ah, common means you're actually done with. You did use it, but it's done with. But the one that is honorable, in other words, the word use means how effective is that towards the kingdom of God? And what did 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 says? If you would cleanse yourself of what is unfit, he will be a vessel of honor. That means if you were a vessel of common use, but if you cleanse yourself, you will be considered a vessel of honor. Amen. And it wasn't talking about the material. It was talking about salvation. And yes, the Bible uses a lot of different analogy. The Bible is a spiritual book that requires spiritual understanding. And Pharaoh, in this case, falls in the category of vessel of common use. But if he too will repent, given the chance that he has, he can be a vessel of honor also. I wanted to bring this point. A hardened heart can only be hardened for so long until there's no more. God is patiently waiting for each and every one. Amen. And a hardened heart is very uh, tricky in the sense that if we're not careful, we are we already have some of that. You know, in Romans chapter 9, it's kind of interesting. Let me finish with Romans chapter 9. That talks about partial hardening. That's already happened in Israel. Uh, I think chapter 11, chapter 9, chapter 11. Yes, verse 25. Um, Romans chapter 11, and this is talking about how the Lord has a plan for Israel as well. And that plan also, in, uh, you know, has to come through, you know, giving the gospel to the Gentiles. And as the Lord is not finished with Israel yet, let's read from verse 17. Chapter 11, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you were being a wild olive, and it's talking about the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. You were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity but to you God's kindness if you continue in his kindness otherwise you will also be cut off 
And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. But if you were cut off from what is by nature's a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So verse 25, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove Jacob. He will, sorry, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So partial hardening until the fullness of all that God is working on will be displayed, will come. Which also reminds us, do not be conceited or arrogant. Amen? We just read, continue in his kindness. So even for us Gentiles, as Christians, let us do that. Let us be humble. Let us not have partial hardening either. Neither for Israel, neither for us. And so that is the message um, that the Lord has put in my heart. It has nothing to do with, oh, just because now we're facing war, or um, that we have been all, you know, all sides are coming at us. But I realized even if things are not happening, but hardening of heart can happen anytime. And that's, that's scary. That is scary. You know, Psalm 73, this is King David. When he said his foot almost slipped, meaning what? His walk almost slipped. And then he goes on and describes how everyone who choose not to follow God, yet they live life merry, happy. You know, he described that they have food, they can eat, and they become fat. And they laugh at him, they mock at him. And yet he here, who's trying to be faithful, is wondering, oh my goodness, <laughs> is, it, is he being faithful in vain? But if you read the entire chapter, it's so powerful because... At the moment when he felt like he is being challenged, then God would bring him to the presence, in his presence, then he saw the, the truth that these people who are fattening themselves, their destiny is towards destruction. They look good now, but they are going towards destruction. So all of that to say is, let us not be the people who only because of pandemic, only because of war, only because of calamity, then only we turn our hearts back to God. But today, as we have today, let us honor him. Amen. Let us honor his wisdom and ask for understanding. And the only way you can do that is you get into his word. If the word is challenging, stay there. You know, sila. Sila means meditate. That's the only way understanding will come. And so with that, I wanted to... Ask anyone who has thoughts or comment or um, scripture that we can continue to uncover. Pastor Edmund, just a couple brief ones. Uh, I'm trying to undo the tape. Of my thing. Oh, 
Okay. okay. I have just a couple. Um, you were talking about war, and rightfully, we're all watching Ukraine and Russia closely, knowing that, you know, one of the reasons the whole world, you know, is involved is this could very, very easily turn into a World War III, a nuclear war. And so they're doing everything that they can to avoid it. And it's scary and there's all kinds of things. But I want you to turn to Revelation, I mean, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. Mm-hmm. One verse? Uh, just, just the one verse. I mean, in context, if you read up, we're talking about the Messiah, our Jesus, coming in the last days. He comes in the ninth week, and he's cut off. But then let's look at what happens in Daniel 9, 26. I'll read. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are, uh, uh, desolations are determined. What that means, and the Lord spoke, to, spoke, spoke that to me early this morning. As I was looking at, you know, and praying about, because my heart is just broken and what's happening to the innocents. Learned that, you know, yesterday, late afternoon, that the orphans and handicapped were being left behind. Um, because, you know, you see the mothers holding their babies, but then they reported orphanages. Orphans are being left behind. And I begin to cry out with everything. It's like, Lord, I know orphans have a special place. Would you bring them out? And in the wee hours of this morning, I learned there they are all these orphans with their caretakers getting on buses. And I begin to weep. And like, Lord, I, I thank you. I praise your holy name. But he spoke Daniel 9.26 because as horrible as this war is, he says, even to the end, there will be war. This is not, and don't let your heart be hard and think, okay, it's going to pass over. It's going to be gone. There is, he says, to the end. And as I was thinking about that and talking to the Lord, he quickly reminded me of the battle of Armageddon and the battle of Gog and Magog that is going to come at the very end and then the end of time. And the battle of Armageddon, that's when Christ is going to return with his army and take the Antichrist out of the way. And Revelation 19, 11 through 21, in the battle of Gog and Magog, Satan will have been, you know, um, imprisoned for a thousand years. Because the Lord has promised his saints we will reign with him for a thousand years. After the battle of Armageddon, Satan will be thrown and, and held in prison while we spend a thousand years with our Lord. But at the end of that thousand years, Satan is going to be let loose one more time. And when he's let loose one more time, that will be the final battle in this age. The battle of Gog and Magog, where they will decide to come against the camp of the saints. 
But the Lord, but this time, God himself will intervene and take him out. And then that's when Satan will be finally cast into hell. But so it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And there's going to be battles. We've been, you know, for those of us who understand some of us, some of us here today, I'm not so I'm not part of those, some of those because I was old enough. I remember the Vietnam War. Mm. It used to be that you would have one war in one country at a time. And then we moved to multiple wars in multiple countries. Mm. We've had two world wars where it came in, but we hear about wars continually. We are now in a generation that could, could potentially see the Third World War. Mm. But the Third World War is not going to happen because the Third World War, war is nuclear. Basically, it is being set up for the Antichrist to come into power because he's going to come in as the one who can stop all this. Mm. Mm. He's going to come in as the one who can negotiate and broker the peace and stop all this. If you see this leader or this person arising, do not be deceived. He is not for us who belong to Christ. Mm. In fact, he will war and he will, as you see these images of people fleeing and crying and dying, we, as children of God, we are looking at our future. That's not to scare you. That's to prepare you. Mm. And also to understand that it's not about, see, for us who belong to Christ, death is not the end. For us, we begin to live when we pass from this life into eternal life. Mm. We have eternal life right now and here for those of us who faithfully walk with Jesus for those of us who don't this is a terrifying time but when you know Jesus when you know God when you know the great I am when you know God almighty that nothing is impossible with him then you find peace and comfort in the shadow of his wings you find peace and comfort in his presence. You're not worried about things that other people are worried about. Pastor Edmonds, just one more scripture very quickly. Isaiah 41.10. Will you read that, please, Pastor? Did you just say Isaiah 41? I did. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Okay. Isaiah chapter 41, um, okay, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, amen. If you don't know God, this is time to know. Mm. He said, you don't have to fear what they're fearing. You don't have to anxiously look about you. You don't even have to be worried about your future. 
He is our future. He is our strength. He is our sun and our shield. His name is a strong tower that we can run into and be saved. Amen. I've been praying for pastor. I've been praying for um, the uh, prime minister, the president, the head of Ukraine. I've been praying for Vladimir Zelensky. Lord, give him a heart to turn to you. He won't be so afraid. He won't be so desperate when he knows you. Lord, in the middle of this, cause him to turn to you and not rely on men, not rely on things that men can do. There is no salvation in a horse. There is no salvation in an airplane. There is no salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So I pray that for each one of us, as we pray for Ukraine, as we pray for the people of Ukraine, let us also pray for the salvation of Ukraine, that they will come to know the Lord. Because we, and, and I pray for that, for that of everyone here, that you will know the Lord and your decisions won't be based on fear. They will be based on confidence, peace, and guidance from God himself. That's all I got, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, uh, Lord, and thank you, Pastor Catherine. Um, any anyone else? Um, as we also would prepare for Holy Communion. All right. Um, for some of you, you might also want to read Second uh, Thessalonians two three, talking about the end times, and was just reminded of what uh, Pastor Catherine pointed to in Daniel uh, concerning uh, the day of the Lord uh, shall not come unless there comes the falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, and the son of perdition. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Let us prepare our hearts. Truly, let's not look around and about uh, when it comes to where you find your hope or place your faith. Let us trust the Lord. As today, um, we're grateful that we can gather um, online, both online and physically as well, because the Lord's body continue in his work through the fellowship of the saints Meaning, when we come together, let us pray that we will always have his best interest in our hearts. Amen. And that's where we have one heart, one mind, one Lord, one gospel, one baptism, one Savior. Instead of just going our own ways, take his word.